When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, the Sabres put up a touchdown and an extra point on Tuesday night as they shut out the Los Angeles Kings 7 to nothing. UPL was stellar in this one, and the Sabres' offense finally came to life, scoring three goals in the first period, which, folks, I know you may have been surprised as we were. They are, in fact, allowed to score goals in the first period. However, that being said, as the game went on, the Sabres completely took over, scoring a pair of goals in the second and third periods apiece. And this was all in spite of the Sabres actually getting outshot in this game. Uh, 33-24, to 24, uh, that was in favor of the Kings. All around, though, it was a really great effort. That being said, if there is one drawback to this game, Taylor, it is the fact that after a win like this, of course, a coach isn't going to want to tinker with the lineup if things were working really well. However, that should not be the case for removing Kyle Opozo off that first line, as we've talked about in these last two episodes. So we're going to get into this now, folks. We are going to get into some of our most intriguing storylines around the league for the last half of the season here. Well, I should say the latter part of the season here. So we have a lot to discuss. But Taylor, let's start off with the Kings game. Again, it's 7 to nothing. Really, really encouraging signs of life from the Sabres offense here. What were your thoughts on this game? Wow, I hated it. Felt they sucked. Terrible effort. Well, it's kind of a it's a crazy game. To put up that many goals while having a shutout, it got me thinking about it. And I I was I was really trying to rack my brain, like, wow, when's the last time we had a shutout like that? Like seven goals. Like, was there one that I'm forgetting last year? No, they always gave up three goals last year. Like, was there one uh at some point during the Eichel era? LOL, obviously not. And then it goes like go back further because they were bad before. That's like, was there one during the 05, 06, 06, 07 seasons? And I couldn't put my finger on one, especially because there were so many quote unquote Ryan Miller shutouts in that time. So a lot of like six to one wins or whatever. And then it turns out <laughs> it was against the Atlanta Thrashers like 22 years ago. Wow. Who would have guessed? I mean, it's a crazy game though. Another great game from UPL, a game where the offense like not only was awake early on, which has been very unusual, but put the pedal to the metal the entire game, which is a problem the Sabres have had, even when they have been playing well, is letting up. Uh, good game from from guys you haven't thought about this much this year, like Jordan Greenway, for example, had a really nice game. So just all around a, a, a great game to feel good about. 
And I kind of stand by what I said on Monday's episode, which is that the Kings are kind of in free fall. And I don't really know at this point what's going to happen because the West is so blech when it comes to contenders. They might still make the playoffs despite all this, but they really might not, which is kind of crazy when you consider where they were on like, I don't know, December 15th or whatever, like more than a third of the way into the season. It seemed like they were way more likely to be the two seed coming out of the Pacific. So that's pretty crazy. But yeah, wow. What a, what a wild game. And what a, uh, what a way for, to, to launch a different conversation that we didn't discuss beforehand, but I just thought of this, uh, that the Sabres goal four percentage at even strength. So this is the easiest advanced stats. It's the number of even strength goals they've scored this year in terms of the goal scored at even strength when they're on the ice, which is to say, if you had 100 scored on you and you scored 100, yours would be 50. You'd be a perfectly average team, which would be really good for the Sabres, except they're actually above that. They're like 52% scored. And just for some context, 55 is elite, 45 is piss poor, terrible, like really last place Sabres of the last decade or so level bad. 52 is pretty good, though, Brendan. We're top 10 in the NHL. The Sabres are ahead of the Colorado Avalanche in that regard. Oh, um, my God. And it's weird because that's a really good stat that should make me feel good. But like most Sabres fans, I'm kind of annoyed by it. Well, right. And I think what has just been my least favorite part about this season is that it has just been, in a word, infuriating. You know, like you say stuff like that, but at the same time, we're talking about how they're having these issues with regard to scoring. And then obviously there's the setbacks that everybody has been having among like the, the upper echelon of players on the team and them kind of taking a step back from their production last year. This all in the midst of them finally getting goaltending that has been stellar, absolutely stellar over these past two months, thanks to UPL. So for me, I'm just looking around and I'm like, what? Is the story about the, the the Native Americans like casting a spell on the Buffalo sports teams actually true? Like this this season has just been such a mess and such a nightmare from start to finish with the ups and the downs. And it's like they're they they show these flashes where it's signs of life of the team we saw last year. And then on the other side of it, they look pitiful, but not bad enough that they're completely bottoming out. They're they're just so mediocre right now like that's it's it's so frustrating i mean where with what i'm saying here with kind of those few points and and the stats you laid out there taylor i mean i know the season is a wash at this point as the sabers are 10 points out of a playoff spot right now with maybe about 30 or so games to play where do they go from here the rest of the way that's a great question um there's really nothing they can do except try to hope that everyone gets back on track by the end of the season. Uh, And from Kevin Adams' perspective, using this deadline, yeah, to do some obvious things, like if you can get picks for Eric Johnson, do it. And maybe even Gergensen's and Oposo, depending on what the trades are. And if you can make all that work, you don't get to trade your captain. You better have some good reason to do so. Um, But beyond that, we've talked about this. If you have the opportunity to buy, and for a, a longer term guy, even if it's a guy that's one plus, meaning that he's a free agent in 2025. Not the worst idea to start to think about what your roster is going to look like next year. Now, there's no yeah. reason not to. You're not tanking like the Sabres. Weirdly, the Sabres actually could. It wouldn't be that crazy for them to get one of the three spots in the lottery. But considering where they are in the standings, but 
it's also like you're not jockeying for position that much. There's a chance you have like the eighth or ninth pick, like they seemingly always do recently. So it's a. I think that's basically the goal. It's just a weird thing. I was thinking about it because one of my, you know, favorite podcasts, Puck Soup, covers the NHL in general, is talking about the Sabres. And I was trying to think about it because one of the hosts kind of made it seem like, well, the Sabres shot 11% last year. Maybe this is just regression. And I, I think it's really not that simple because if you look at the Sabres last year, you factor in some level of regression for the shooting percentage, but only a little because their even strength shooting percentage isn't that different. Like what's drastically different is the power play. And I'll get to that in a second. But you would take last year's team, except that Tage, Tuck, Cousins, Skinner, maybe they all score a little bit less. But I would, if I just told you, even with those expectations, UPL is going to play a bulk of the season and he's at like a 9-10 save percentage. And he's been especially strong from December on. Um, on top of that, Casey Middlestad is going to keep up what he did in the second half of last year and is one of the league's premier five-on-five passers. J.J. Paterka will be on pace to score 30 goals. Zach Benson will make the team, and he'll look pretty good. Um, Ryan Johnson will eventually come up during the season, and he'll look like he belongs, totally belongs in the NHL. And then I think you'd have to be wondering, like, well, what the hell? Did they get, like, 110 points? Not 110, but you'd have to assume they make the playoffs if I told you all those things. So the fact that all those things have gone right and the season hasn't, I think there's two things. One, the immense disappointments we've mentioned. But two, even with those disappointments, I think we're talking about the Sabres being in a playoff spot or fighting for a playoff spot if their power play is normal, not even great. So I I looked into this because I was curious. Uh, if you increase their power play success, how many wins that adds up to is impossible to know for sure unless you put them in a given situation. Like an extra power play goal when they lose 5-2 doesn't matter, but in most situations it would. So I was looking at how it would affect their goal differential. And Brendan, did you know this? If the Sabres' power play was firing at 23%, which would be good for 12th in the league, I would say they have the talent to be 12th in the league. But Definitely. They would have the same goal differential as the Tampa Bay Lightning, <laughs> who don't have that great of a goal differential and aren't winning the division or anything. But you know what they're in? A playoff spot. Yep. Um, yep. <laughs> there's also a factor of, I don't you know, know how to calculate this as well, but cluster luck, it exists across sports. If you score 10 goals over – uh, three games, but you score three, three, and four. That's what you want to do. You don't want to score eight, one, and one because that's probably one win and two losses. But, but yeah, do you do you kind of agree that this season is not it's not that easy to nail down one specific thing? Oh, absolutely. I think that kind of goes back to my point where it's just been so maddening. You know, you look and there's just so much context to the performances of each of the three position groups between the forwards, the defensemen. And and net as well. And it certainly has not been a linear season by any means. You know, we made the point about a month or so ago that it just it felt like this season has been characterized by these pretty statement wins against good teams. At least that was the case in the first half of the season. And you're getting these great wins and seemingly starting to build momentum. And then you end up losing to Montreal four to two, two nights later. And it just completely takes the wind out of your sails. And yeah, I mean, you can't really look at one singular cause for why this season has gone the way that it has. And I think we sh should also mention too, that in addition to the mistakes behind the bench from Granado, in addition to the mistakes that the front office made in terms of the inaction that 
characterized this past off season. I think it's also, and, and just the, the on ice regression as well. I think it's also important to keep in mind that they also haven't really had a lot of injury luck either. You know, you have been missing Jack. You're going to end up missing Jack Quinn for 80% of the season, probably in a year where he was expected to step in to a significant role. And in the brief time that he actually did get on the ice was really showing those flashes that he was going to take that step. You look at Matias Samuels going down and being out for the rest of the season. Now, let's be real here. He was not by any stretch of the imagination having a great season prior to him going down for the year. But that's a guy that has been a, a fixture in your top six for the last or your top four, I should say, for the last two seasons. And it's the it's the same thing with Samuelson that it is with Tage, that it's been with Cousins and with Darlene that for this season, for me, I know it doesn't offer a lot of, I don't know, I guess concrete explanation or anything like that. But I just don't think that looking at what all of these guys collectively and individually were able to do last year, that the versions of them that we are getting now is what they're going to be for the rest of their careers or the rest of the duration of their contracts with the Sabres, what have you. So, yeah, I mean, I think that there's been a lot of missteps and mismanagement, but I also think it's important to at least acknowledge that there also has been some, some bad luck as well. And it's a mess. Look at them now. They are the same amount of points away from being in the bottom five as they are to Washington, which still has two teams ahead of them to get into the second wild card spot. So it's been a mess. You know, you can't look at it as anything else other than a failure, though. While there has been some some unlucky stretches and in, in the injury bug and some bounces, some obviously some questionable roughing we've we've talked about at length it doesn't really change the fact that you are going to now expand upon the greatest drought in the history of the sport tied for the longest drought playoff drought in all of the four major sports in in North America. And as you had said a week or two ago, I'm now feeling much, much less confident in the front office and the coaching staff as compared to where I was with them six months ago. And even then there was a lot of, of cautious optimism and, and certainly a lot of our conversations from over the summer and into the start of the season were, were focused on this idea of is Adams, is he going to be able to take this big swing and he's going to be able to nail it. We, we saw what he was able to do in the early goings of his tenure as the GM with selling pieces and being able to maximize those returns. And I would say, given the situation in all three circumstances of, of the three big trades, he, he did an okay job. He did a pretty good job. I don't think, you know, like the Reinhardt one, it, it really stings with how good he's been, but Reinhardt was ready to move on to a contender. You were able to get a first, which became Yuri Kulik and you got Devin Levi, who was seemingly your goalie of the future, not helping you right now, but you would want to hope that there's maybe a bit of a, a Tage Thompson arc with that trade where, you know, you trade O'Reilly and he goes and he wins a, a cup and a, and a con Smythe. And then Tage obviously at that time is just looking like a, a deer on ice and like he, he belongs in the AHL. And then he eventually goes on to have this otherworldly development path 
and has become, you know, the the star player that he is. Obviously, he's having a down year now, but like becoming the player that he is and that we know that he's capable of. In the case of of Kulik and and and, and Levi, you don't have to worry about as much of a, oh man, we really need a miracle here for us to make this trade come feel like, you know, it, it comes out okay. I don't even want to go as far to say even because I think it's hard to measure that. But like clearly Florida has has come out ahead in the early goings of this deal. That being said, there's a lot of promise when it comes to Kulik and, and, and Levi. And so I think that there is an opportunity there where that deal looks a little bit better in the future. And that's just me giving this front office optimism that I think we could both agree they probably don't deserve. Uh, but, but that being said though, you know, you, the wrist line in one speaks for itself. The Eichel one, we, we've talked about that at length. Um, and so, but back to my main point though, that unless it's playoffs, like this is, this is a failure and you need to be able to take the next step and be able to, to put a team on the ice that can take the next step. And as part of that, you need to be able to take this big swing. We've been talking about, you can make the rebuild moves, but you got to show that, you have the the mojo to be able to take this big swing and connect on it and land on it and help your team move forward. Now you cannot keep waiting around for development for the sake of development. And I know we've been seeing it in the press and we've been hearing from Elliot Friedman in, in the fourth period and all of these other and uh, insiders who are saying, Oh, the Sabres are trying to make moves for now. Even Kevin Adams on WGR said it himself. They want to take uh, a, a move to help the roster now and into the future. Until that actually happens and we see what qualifies as a move for now means to Kevin Adams and this front office, it is all skepticism. It is all rooted in this fact that they have to prove it to us. Nothing could, should be given to them and they should not be given any benefit of the doubt because this far into this thing, they should be in a playoff spot after last year and knowing what you had at your disposal and what you needed to fit where you need to fill in the gaps. They should be in a playoff spot right now, or at least like seriously in the conversation, which they aren't. Yep. Oh boy. Well, it's been an annoying year to say the least. Certainly has. Do we want to hear from our sponsor before we talk about the rest of the league with some not annoying things? Sure. All right, folks. We know hockey games move fast, but with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, you can score faster than anything happening on the ice. This week, new customers can bet 5 bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. If you look on the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, there's all kinds of things to bet on. You know, all the games, uh, any every game, every day of the week. Uh, there's lines, odds. There's over-unders, individual player bets, parlays, all that kind of stuff. And there's even featured players if you want to check those out. And the way you do that is download the DraftKings Sportsbook app with code THPN. New customers bet just 5 bucks on the NHL and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only in DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY at 467-369. In Connecticut, help us avail for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21-plus, age varied by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash hockey terms. Sorry, just hockey. DKNG.com slash hockey for eligibility deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL the NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2024. All rights reserved. We're back. 
That's right, folks. We're going um, to talk about the rest of the league. Taylor, you want to introduce the next segment? Yes. Before I do that, can we just shout out our old guest, our former guest, maybe future guest, Matt Beauvais, who did a very funny segment on the Channel 7 News where he went to a the Kenilworth Volunteer Fire Company's fish fry on Ash Wednesday, which is yesterday when we're recording this, uh, to ask people there about the Sabres. And wow, what an incredibly Buffalo slash Western New York video that was. A fish fry at a volunteer fire department. People who are Sabres fans that live in like Pennsylvania or whatever are listening to this, anywhere else really, just outside this vicinity being like, hey, you guys go to the fire department to get a fish fry? <laughs> what is that? They won't even know what a fish fry is. So for the record, fish fry is exactly what it sounds like. Fried fish, big during Lent. Ash Wednesday, the four Fridays, or six Fridays. Sorry, I went to Catholic school, I promise. The six Fridays, including, and then Ash Wednesday as well. Uh, it's just fried fish, either haddock or cod. They're everywhere. You get nice tartar sauce with it, uh, usually coleslaw, macaroni salad, maybe a buttered roll. Friend, any other sides you know of? I think you went through them all there. We love a good buttered <laughs> roll. I, I must say, I feel like those always steal the show for me. Absolutely. And some places do macaroni sale better than others. When you get a good one, mm. it's always special. Hold uh, it close. Yeah, before I finish explaining this, what's your go-to fish fry place? I really don't eat fish fries that much, to be honest. So usually for me, it's just like I'll get them if like a you know I'm over at my dad's or something and he's getting them or and I'll try one. I do know that Minio's, I'm pretty sure, has a pretty good one. Minio's in South Buffalo. And then I've also heard, this is just solely from my father, and I have actually tried some of his before, but he really loves Jackrabbit's fish fry, actually. Really? Yeah, apparently they got a pretty good one. Shout out Kev Sampson. Nice. Head nice. chef over there. Nice. Well, anyways, where's yours? Uh, I like the Wellington on Hurdles, the first one that comes to mind. I really like that. Nice. Uh, there's another one I really like, but I'm not going to shout them out because they're at Kansas City Chiefs Bar, and I'm can't abide that anymore. Smart move. Um, but anyway, so Kenilworth Fire Department was one. That's the other thing, I guess, if you're not from here. Various groups like churches and fire departments and whatnot do these fish fries a lot of times as a fundraiser. So Beauvais went in there. It's a relatively short video, but he was just asking these people, like, why do you still watch the Sabres? <laughs> Which is kind of a valid question. Got a lot of a lot of great Western New York voices, a lot of funny answers. So really shout out to Matt. I appreciate that. Amazing. And, and we have been we, we have been talking about having him back on. We wanted to just get through the Super Bowl, so I have to circle back with him. So hopefully we'll have him on soon and can ask him more about that experience. Yeah. <laughs> uh so yeah, so this thing, uh a lot of people, Sabres fans, if you're still listening to this, you're probably thinking, like, wow, why am I listening to this? The Sabres <laughs> suck. We're just talking about the same shit over and over. So we thought we'd talk about the rest of the league. And also, if you saw this on the like Instagram or Twitter and saw us teasing this and then just skip to this point, welcome. Welcome. Indeed. I, so what we're going to do is just we all we found three different things across the league that we think are interesting or noteworthy. That, just something to talk about uh, that we hadn't brought up. And uh, if one of us has the same one as the other one, I'll, I'll just think of a new one. But well, this. we can even if one of us does have the same one, we'll just give both of our perspectives on it. OK, you want me to start? Sure. You go first. All right. So one I think that's interesting is the two teams that are defying the numbers right now defying the what we know about analytics etc whatnot <clears throat> one of the older concepts of analytics this still kind of holds true is the concept of pdo i've talked about it here before i don't know why it's called pdo it's actually a dumb name 
It's just shooting percentage plus save percentage and even strength. That's it. So if you're thinking about it, if you're an astute listener, you're probably thinking the average in the NHL will always add up to 100%, which is correct. Empty net goals are never at even strength. Uh, anyway, here's how that works basically, is that if, you're, if the NHL average shooting percentage is 10, the average save percentage is 90, that's 100. So let's say in that scenario, which we're not really that far away from right now actually, a team that has a 9-10 save percentage and a still regular shooting percentage would be at a 101 PDO, which would be above average. Some teams are worse, they're at 99, and this could be a luck thing. Definitely, it's a luck thing a lot of the time. But you should have a natural PDO. Not everyone's is 100. If you're a team with a really good goalie, like Boston, or two good goalies like Boston, you should definitely be above 100 PDO, no matter how your shooting percentage is. And if you're a very skilled team that shoots a little bit better than most teams, you should also be 100, over 100. But you shouldn't be that far away from 100. <coughs> anyway, goaltending can be random. Not necessarily lucky. It can be lucky at times. But over the course of the season, if you have really good goaltending, you probably were just good in the long enough term at that. Shooting percentage can be a little bit more random. And so the two teams I want to get to in this regard are one that is more pertinent to us, but one I think that's more interesting. So I'll start with the one that's more pertinent, the Detroit Red Wings, because the Sabres, Red Wings, and Senators have been compared a lot and grouped together a lot in recent years, even though I'd say the Sabres kind of started their current rebuild after those teams mm -hmm. but the Sabres had a better record two years in a row than both of them the last two seasons and both of those teams showed a lot less patience than the Sabres I guess the Sabres showed more patience those teams kind of went more into win now mode particularly the Red Wings and I think just a quick glance at the standings would say oh it paid off for the Red Wings well not so fast I wouldn't say uh for a few reasons the main one being they have an absurd shooting percentage their shooting percentage uh, is ridiculous to the point that they're beating their expected goals at even strength by more than any other team in the league. If you just took what you would expect, the number of goals you'd expect from how much they shoot and where they shoot from on the ice, they have like 30 more than you would expect already, which is crazy. Wow, wow. It's even more than the other team I'm going to talk about. If they're number one in the league in that regard. It's very unusual. They have one of the highest even strength shooting percentages of any team since that's been measured, which is like, a 15, 16, 17-year sample size now, they just have been crazy shooting the puck. Meanwhile, if you look at their underlying numbers, like are they taking a lot of good shots from a lot of good spots, like the kind of places you normally score from, and are they preventing the other team from doing that? No. It They are literally in a playoff spot by two points, I think, at this point, because of that. So which is to say, <clears throat> think about that for a second, they have the best one of the top five shooting percentages of any team in the last 17 years. It's a sample of like 500 teams. And they're mm -hmm. in the playoffs by two points. Detroit is not in a good place. No. Despite the fact they're probably excited to break their playoff drought. I would be too if I were them. Still oh, might not yeah. happen. <clears throat> a lot of the models have them at less than one third of a chance of making the playoffs just because there's a lot of teams around them the Islanders, the Penguins, uh, whoever else. <laughs> um, and. There's, I mean, their underlying numbers are kind of a disaster. So I wonder, the reason they're interesting to me is, are they going to keep shooting like this? Because if they do, they'll make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And then I wonder what happens from there. Do they start to think we're a playoff contender? Could there be a step back next year? That's interesting to me. But the other team that's more interesting is the Canucks. Because the Canucks have a shooting percentage almost as good as Detroit. Or it might even be better. 
they're defying their even strength expected goals a little bit less than Detroit. The shooting percentage, I think, might even be better. But their save percentage is also absurd because all of a sudden, Thatcher Demko didn't return to form after a bad season. He took on a whole new form of like a Vesna winning goalie. So now they have this insane save percentage and an insane shooting percentage. Yep. The percentage is a little bit unsustainable. The shooting percentage is crazy unsustainable. You go through the, the Canucks roster right now, you can't believe their offensive stats. This is a team that's missed the playoffs something like nine of ten years, and the only year they made it was that weird COVID year. But look, looking at their just their lineup, it's insane. Elias Patterson is 69 points, as does JT Miller. Quinn Hughes is a defenseman at 66. Brock Besser has 54, including 30 goals. Phil Pronick has 31 points. Uh, he's on pace for like a 70-point season. And then there you have different guys who I didn't mention who have 11, 13, 10, 17, 10, and 12 goals. And another guy with eight. This roster is just scoring to a ridiculous degree. So it's not even like Vancouver bumped up into the playoffs after a few straight years of being really an also-ran, not even a team that was really discussed that much in the playoff race. Now they're leading the President's Trophy race. They have a goal differential of plus 58. Wow. Right now. Which, if I'm not mistaken, is... Yes, it's number one in the league. And number two is a distant second. It's Boston at plus 42. It's... On top of that, just to give context for how high they are in both of the categories, they are second in goal scored to Colorado. And they are... One, two, three, four, five, six, seventh in goals allowed. Fewest goals allowed. Wow. So they're incredible. This is like the resume of like a historically good team. Not like example, like not like Boston last year, historically good. I shouldn't say, but like uh, it's not historically good at all. I shouldn't say more like it's a solidly the best team in the league type team, a president's trophy winning team. And it's really just kind of mostly the same roster yeah. as what was a non-playoff team last year, a non-playoff team in probably the worst division. It is insane, and it does make you wonder a lot about the transition from Boudreaux <laughs> to Rick Tockett and how Tockett has really been able to take them leaps and bounds compared to where they were before. It, it, I feel like, the granted that there's not the, the history there with the example I'm about to make, but it's kind of similar in a way to Edmonton where they were – off to a slow start under Woodcroft, but some of the underlyings were there and it's like, you know, it's going to work. And then they just cut the cord before they probably would have been able to figure it out. And I feel like Vancouver is kind of similar in that regard that I think at the time, a lot of people felt like they pulled the plug on Boudreaux pretty quickly. And a lot of the struggle well, not quickly was... enough, depending on who you ask, because well, that's fair. they made it known they were going to fire him. And then they just left him twisted in the wind for a month. Yep. Yeah. So that being said, it is, great to see what's happening with Vancouver and I'm really psyched that they have taken the step that they've taken and that Thatcher Demko has you know worked his way back into the conversation about one of the best goalies in the league yeah it's awesome to see I'm 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 hyped that Vancouver's good I always support a team that has good jerseys and Vancouver has some of the best of them so I'm with you Detroit nah yeah that's that's kind of blew me away how much Detroit their underlying numbers are like that of a bottom five team. Crazy. Um, it helps their special teams aren't a total goddamn nightmare like the Sabres. But, man, they are not a particularly good team. And actually, at the same time, neither is Ottawa. 
<coughs> You're not wrong. Ottawa's, Ottawa's real problem um, is goaltending. I don't know if that problem is actually going to be fixed. That is fair. It's hard to disagree with that. All right, so what's your first team? My first, well, it's not necessarily a team. I just went general league-wide news and and what has been interesting for me. And I decided for my first one to pick the thing that has made me the most excited about this current NHL season, the thing that has brought me the most joy. Sure, folks, it is definitely not the Sabres. Good guess on that one. It is the fact that finally NHL players are going to be back into the Olympics. Specifically, I am so psyched to see this upcoming iteration of Team USA. This is going to be their best shot to win gold in the 21st century, I think, undoubtedly. And while Canada is, of course, no slouch, and the same goes for a lot of the other competitor countries like Sweden or Finland, for the first time, it feels like the U.S. legitimately has the offensive firepower to match any other country while still having one of the best defensive groups and definitely the best goalie room. I'd say probably like 75% of the spots on the roster are set, but who is going to end up emerging to take the remaining 25% is just, it's going to be fascinating to watch. And in addition to that, there's so many fun storylines surrounding this team. Let's go through some of them as like a high level thing. What will the lines and, and roster battles look like? Who will be the starter and the last man cut in the net between a goalie room that is going to have Connor Hallibuck, Jake Ottinger, Thatcher Demko, and Jeremy Swayman all vying for the four spots. Who is going to be one that is going to inevitably center the Kachuk brothers? What young forwards are going to emerge to, to win a roster spot among the likes of guys like Matty Beniers or Cole Caulfield, Matt Boldy, Will Smith, Logan Cooley? Do any of the young promising defensemen like Luke Hughes or Brock Faber or Jake Sanderson per push for a spot. Also what centers are going to have to end up pivoting to wing with a center group that has the depth that includes Austin Matthews, Jack Eichel, Jack Hughes, Dylan Larkin, Tage Thompson, and others. There's, there's just so many exciting storylines just on team USA alone. That doesn't even get into a lot of the interesting uh, battles and, and lineup decisions that are going to need to be made for all of the other countries as well. Uh, what countries are going to surprise? I mean, it's just, it's so exciting to be able to know that we can reliably look forward to getting to experience this again and getting to have the conversations about lineup decisions and who we agree with and whatnot. Like I remember for 2014, when they live on TV, I'm trying, was it in like the winter classic? I want to say, or it, it was some national broadcast that they had announced the, the roster for the Olympic team. And I mean, everybody who was a hockey fan was on, you know, the edge of their seat watching that, waiting to see who the choices were going to be. Obviously, there were some bad decisions made at that. But just being that engaged with it and being able to have those conversations and get excited about it, and then eventually that all culminating in watching this best on best, real best on best, everybody around the world being able to take part in this, I am just over the moon excited for it. What are your thoughts? I'm also excited starting with the, whatever weird tournament we get next year. Uh, I'm like, really it's, it's been crazy how long it's been. And it's, I don't, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was overly surprised, but I think it's good that they committed to this like this early. I think it's cool because fans might remember the NHL was the reason they players weren't at the Olympics in 2018 but and the IOC, the IOC takes a lot of blame here. It's not an innocent organization by any means. Uh, in 2022, though, people might forget the NHL was lined up to go. 
And it, the only reason it didn't happen was because of COVID. People might say that they were never going to go, but the Players Association agreed, like, it's not worth going over there during the Omicron spike. So anyway, that's a, a short way of saying it'll have been nine years between any kind of best on best. And those two were the World Cup in 2016 and whatever we're getting in 2025. And it'll have been 12 years since Olympic hockey, since NHL players were Olympic hockey by the time it gets here. And I'm really excited because things will change by then. There's someone you mentioned there that'll totally fall off. And there's someone you didn't mention who will definitely be on the roster. So excited to see how that goes. It's cool. I think a lot of teams are looking at Canada's goaltending and saying like, hey, this could be our chance. Yep. yep. Um, and it's just a really exciting thing in general. So it's a, it's a good thing to be looking forward to. Totally. What's your next one? So next is another Eastern Conference team, the Pittsburgh Penguins. And what an interesting time they've had. So I'm sure people will remember the Penguins have been good. But the Penguins actually have not won a playoff series since, do you know when, Brendan? Is it the cup year? No. Oh, I was going to say. Around 2018. Wow. So only one since they won that second cup, third cup in 2017. Good. They lost to the Capitals in 2018. Uh, and the Capitals run to the Cup. And then the Penguins lost in the first round in 2019. I believe were swept by the Islanders. 2020, they were upset in the that 5-12 matchup in the play-in round for the playoffs by the Canadians. 2021, lost to the Islanders. 2022, Crosby gets hurt. They lose to the Rangers. Crosby and they're both their starting goalies, I believe, actually were hurt. Uh-huh. And then last year, they missed the playoffs. But unlike other teams that come to the end of their run, it wasn't really because of their best players. Jake Gensel, Sidney Crosby, Chris Letang, Evgeny Malkin, all still good last year. So they they decided they, they re-signed Tristan Jari, trusted in him, brought in Riley Smith, and most importantly, bring in Eric Carlson. And would you believe it? They're even further out of the playoffs. <laughs> now, they still have a good chance at making the playoffs this year. They have 53 points in 50 games, which is... They play two fewer games than the Sabres and have three more points. So they're ahead of us, for example. But they're not really on track unless things really get turned around. And it's been interesting again this season because, again, the problem they're dealing with is not their best players falling off. Crosby actually has 52 points this year. He has 28 goals. He might have 40-something goals at his advanced age of 36. Jake Gensel's more than a point-a-game player as well. Evgeny Malkin has 41 points in 50 games. Carlson has not been as good as last year, but he has 37 points. He's been productive. Latang, less productive than the past 30 points in 50 games. Now what do they do? Tough to say. Let me come back to that question because there's two other factors I got to bring up here. One, Tristan Jari, who they resigned long-term over the long er, over the offseason, 913 save percentage. Both his backups this year have been good. Team save percentage, 915. 9-15, Andrew getting crazy good hockey out of Crosby wow. and good hockey out of Malkin. Decent production out of Carlson Latang. What the hell's going on? Well, would you believe their power play is actually less productive than the Sabres? <laughs> Didn't know it was How possible. Is possible. How is that possible? With Crosby, Malkin, Latang, Gensel, all these guys. It's crazy. And now they're looking towards the end of the season, <clears throat> and they're not out of it. But they kind of need to get hot now. They looking at the wild card race, they are uh they've played fewer games than pretty much everyone, but 
it's clear that they're solidly behind most of the, for example, it seems like they're solidly behind the teams that are going to win the Metro, either New York or Carolina. So they're not in that race. They're probably not even in the race for third unless Philadelphia totally falls off. They are seven points behind Detroit with two games in hand. Eesh. They're nine points be behind Toronto with only one game in hand. So if you're looking at this, if you're being realistic, unless Philadelphia totally falls off, they need to catch Detroit. Not going to be easy. We mentioned earlier that Detroit might fall off. It might happen. In Pittsburgh, maybe their power play could be better. It couldn't be any worse. But at the moment, they're still technically one point behind Washington. They're still four points behind the Islanders, and they're five points behind New Jersey, who, by the way, New Jersey could totally turn things around too. They're one of the best, most talented teams in the league. They're just dealing with a lot of bad goaltending. I was going to say, they're maybe the team to watch uh, this <laughs> coming trade deadline to make a move for a goalie. Absolutely. They they should have made one earlier, but <coughs> um, Pittsburgh, it really could still happen. If their power play is anything but terrible, there's no reason why they couldn't be a really good enough team from here on out to get that last wild card spot. But here's what I just said there, to get the last wild card spot. I know that's what Florida did last year. I wouldn't say that's a reliable way to make the cup. It's more reliable than it is in other sports, I guess. But the last wild card spot is not exactly where this team planned to be when they traded for Eric Carlson. And now oh. you have to wonder what they're going to do next because Jake Gensel is an unrestricted free agent this offseason. So are they looking at what they're going to do now? Are they going to do one of three things? Say, hell, we're going to resign him. We'll give him what he wants. So probably an eight-year deal for a guy who will be 30 at the start of next season. Option B, say, we'll see what happens, which means that they could potentially lose him for nothing after this run where they could potentially miss the playoffs and lose it for nothing. Or the third one, they trade them. Which would be kind of waving the white flag on this season. And what would be the point of that? Because what, what's next season going to be? How are you going to be better next season? Everyone's older. <coughs> it's very fair. And I think a lot of people have brought up the premise of this. Like, are you going to start to move out those guys? Because it's an interesting conversation. On the one hand, we always hear about like the storybook kind of, you know, how rare is it that a guy plays his entire career with the same franchise, especially when it comes to somebody who's going to go down in the history books as legendary as Crosby. And of course, you know, Malkin is in that conversation as well as Latang. You kind of have to balance that versus, you know, if Crosby is okay with potentially getting moved, if things are looking bleak and Pittsburgh is realizing that they need to change course here, it, it to me, it feels like it's what's doing what's best for the player and for the franchise. You know, like Pittsburgh's day of reckoning is coming. I don't think that this is a, a Boston situation necessarily where like Bergeron retires and then somehow they're able, like the Bruins are able to stay afloat and Krejci retires and they're able to stay afloat. For me, it's like if, if Crosby and Malkin move on, like you are full on rebuilding. And let's also be clear that even though they are where they are age-wise, the the stature of both of those guys and, and the profile and the accolades that come with them, they're going to be really valuable pieces, more valuable than 99% of other players in the league at their age that Crosby and Malkin are at right now. 
So Pittsburgh has a, and obviously, you know, figuring out with Carlson and everything too, but like Pittsburgh is in a tough spot here where I, I don't know necessarily how tough it is. It's tough for them because it's not an easy, you know, choice to just like snap your fingers and say, all right, we're going to trade the two cornerstones of our franchise over the past 20 years. But I don't know. I mean, if they do bottom out this year and they don't make the playoffs, does the conversation really happen this summer where you're wondering if Sidney Crosby is going to be wearing a different jersey other than a Penguins one for the first time in his career? It's interesting, and here's why I think it is. Looking at their contracts they have going forward, Malkin is at $6.1 million per year through 2026. He will be over 40 by the end of that deal. That deal easily, considering the cost, could take him right to retirement. Richard Raquel is there through 2028. I had no idea what the hell is going on with that, but good for him, I guess. They gave him a big deal after they acquired him from Anaheim. Good for him. Uh, Brian Rust is there also through 2028 at $5 million a year. Eric Carlson's there at $11.5 million through 2027. Latang is there. $6.1 million through 2028, which also could take him right to retirement. Ryan Graves is there at $4.5 million through 2028. That could also take him straight to retirement. Sidney Crosby is a free agent next summer. He isn't a free agent in less than 18 months. Unrestricted free agent. Wow. After what – I don't even know how long that contract was. Like 15 years? Long. So I think it's going to be interesting if they – let's say they go for it and miss the playoffs. Trade Gensel or don't trade Gensel. They're going to be looking into next year – are they going to, like you mentioned there, do what's best for team and player? Or my guess is this is actually up to Crosby. And that the team is not would never approach him in that way, and they don't have the power to approach him in that way. But Crosby strikes me more so than anyone else on this team or anyone in the league as a, a guy that's like, I don't want to mention a certain guy in the NFL recently but also I'll just say the guy in the NBA, LeBron James, and that he's defied normal Asian curves to a ridiculous point where it just kind of doesn't seem like he'll ever get bad. I know he's only 36. He's not quite as old as – not like he's 50 or something. Yeah. But to be clear here, Crosby is defied Asian curves in, consistently and insanely, and he, unlike earlier in his career, just doesn't really get hurt that much anymore. Yep. So he's still one of the most productive players in the league at age 36. Look at the rest of his draft class. Look, don't even you don't have to go that far. Look at someone who's a year older than him on the same team and Malkin. Malkin's still good. He's still productive. He's nowhere near where Crosby is. So, I think Crosby could look at like life beyond Pittsburgh. Like, hey, this might be Malkin and Latang's retire and Carlson and Russ and Richard Raquel's retirement spot because all those guys. I even mentioned Tristan Jari, who's there until twenty twenty eight. All those guys are locked in. Aside from Jari, probably wouldn't be easy to move any of their contracts. I think what happens is they're going to try to run it back going into next year, but there's a you chance do. Crosby starts to make some moves and is like, hey, what if I'm good for five more years? No, it could fall off at any point. It could just fall off a cliff. It happens. But maybe that's on his mind. Like, what if I'm still good? It's a realistic possibility. Absolutely. And we've seen it time and time again that star players – of Crosby's stature, which there are not many don't really want to stick around for rebuilds or for these like middling seasons where you're like the seven and nine bills over and over again. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's how I pretty much compare every mid team. It does not matter the sport. Like if you're not bad enough to be really bad, you're not good enough to be really in contention. You are the seven to nine bills. I think more specifically the Dick Duran bills. Is that what you're getting at? Amen. Amen, brother. Absolutely. Oh man. We love them. We love Dick Duran folks. We sure do. (laughs) I don't. Um, All right. So just looking real quick, Sidney Crosby in, 2010 it was his fifth season in the league not even as that young of a guy kind of normal 20 i guess it was his age 22 season he sorry this is a fourth year in the league no it was his fifth i'm doing the math in my head yes it was his fifth year in the league his age 22 season anyway he had 51 goals definitely took his goals to a next level at 109 points the reason i'm bringing this up is to compare the other guys who were there at that time to show off his longevity the league leader in points and MVP was Henrik Sedin, retired already in the Hall of Fame. He was tied for second with Ovechkin, who is hot right now, but it's clear that he's taken a big step back. He's in a different phase of his career. He was even someone that defied aging curves a ton in terms of goal scoring, not in terms of the rest of his game, really. Next, Nick Backstrom, basically retired. Next, Steven Stamkos, who was even younger than him. Steven Stamkos, while still good, has taken a step back in kind of the way Malkin has, even though he's three years younger than Crosby. Brad Richards retired. Joe Thornton retired, but a guy who kind of is the closest comparison to Crosby, I think, right now. And Crosby's even kind of passing him in terms of how long he's staying good. Pat Kane had major surgery, missed a lot of time. Hasn't been that unproductive since coming back. He's been okay. But, you know, that Detroit, like I said, their scoring's been wild. We'll see how that goes. He's already missed time again since coming back. Gabrick retired. Kovalchuk retired. Sedin retired already in the Hall of Fame. Alex Semin retired. Patrick Marlowe retired. Danny Heatley retired. Zach Parise, not retired weirdly, but I don't think he's had 20 goals. I mean, he had 21 goals last year. I don't think he's had like a really good productive season in about eight years. Kopitar, not retired, also kind of old. Paul Stastny, uh, retired, I think. I think he just retired. Malkin, we already mentioned. Mike Green retired. Corey Perry, inexplicably back in the NHL. So think of what I just said about all those guys. Crosby is still kind of in the MVP conversation this year. Not that he's going to win it, but that he'll get votes. So crazy to me that he would want to stick around and see, like, I, are all these 36-year-old and 37-year-olds going to bounce back or what? Because <laughs> I think he probably knows the answer. So I'll just see, would he rather finish his career in Pittsburgh or does he want to try to win another cup somewhere? It's a fair question. It's one that's going to get asked more and more as Pittsburgh continues to slide. I'll move on to my second one now. My next one is focused on Mr. Connor McDavid. And my question is, will he really potentially win the scoring title? So let's set the stage here and go back a little bit. He had just 10 points in his first 11 games this year after cruising to a scoring title in an MVP last year with a whopping 153 points. The underlying still showed a very good team was there at the start of this season, but the end results weren't adding up. And as I mentioned before, Jay Woodcroft ended up getting fired. Both Edmonton and McDavid have been on a heater in the time since with Edmonton now firmly in a playoff spot and McDavid up to 77 points in 47 games after he put up six against Detroit on Tuesday night, six assists. He's 13 points back of Nikita Kucherov, who obviously is also having an excellent season, but there's 33 games to go. And I think there might be a decent chance that he could do this. What are your thoughts? I think Kucherov's got it. 
I do too. I just, he has multiple five point games this year. And I'm just wondering if down the stretch, I don't know. There's a, I mean, they are currently, they're in the third spot in the Pacific right now. They have 63 points. LA is in the first wild card spot at 58 points. St. Louis also has 58 points right now. So they're not fully out of the woods and they're not there quite yet. And if there's one thing that we have seen Connor McDavid do, especially over these past couple of years, it's that he is able to elevate himself in a way that he just can drag his team across the finish line and completely change the outcome of a game with the puck on his stick. Again, making up 13 points over the span of, of 30 games, uh, 33 games, I should say, obviously is a huge task, but I just think given where the season started 10 points in his first 11 games compared to where he is now being only 13 back with 33 games to go. I think it is insane to me that there is even like a 20% chance that he does this. Yeah. Well, definitely that he's at this point, I would say he's guaranteed to be top three more or less. If he doesn't get hurt. He already is tied for third. I think he's third in the league right now in scoring. Yeah. He's tied with Pasternak for third. So the fact that he's going to get back in the conversation with McKinnon and Kucherov, I think, is pretty wild. Uh, it speaks a lot to his unbelievable ability to score. And I didn't realize they actually have the most games left in the league. So that's that's consideration because he's going to play four more games than Kucherov, I think you said. Yep. So that's yep. something. Uh, yeah, it's, it makes it seem like a genuine possibility. The thing is, if Kucherov keeps playing at his current pace, he's going to get to right around 140 which McDavid would then need to score 63 points in 33, 33 games. games. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. It's it's not impossible, though. Yeah, I mean, hey, he was very close to being at uh, two points per game last year. So if he can really just take it into overdrive with, you know, the playoffs really on the line and knowing that there is a chance they could be on the outside looking in, I think it maybe activates an extra gear in him and he gets close. Like even if he gets within like five of Kucherov, that is just an unbelievable accomplishment given how the season started for him. Yeah, definitely. That's what you got uh, for number three. Uh, so my third one is the Arizona coyotes. <laughs> we back in the day, 2014, 15 season, we were tanking buddies with them and the Sabres won that because they got Eichel and the Coyotes got Strom. And the Coyotes kind of, like, the, the, they kind of were like the Sabres, and they took the bull by the horns in their rebuild. Like, they traded for some good guys. I don't remember all their trades, but they traded for Nick Jalmerson, I remember. They brought up uh, a, a bunch of good guys. They, they had other, like, quality prospects at the time. Strom, they ended up trading. And then it never really got off the ground. Like, they were okay. It was under their old GM, who... John Chaka, who a lot of people don't seem to like in the hockey world and kind of think was a grifter. But they made the fake playoffs in 2020. And then after that, really fell off. And they decided the same, you know, the following weird bubble season that they needed to rebuild the way the Sabres did. And we, at that point, actually had our co-hosts, not our co-hosts, but our network colleagues on, Corey and Richie, for the part of the Coyotes podcast, to talk about our dual rebuilds and where we were at like rebuilding together again. And then by last season, it was like, well, we, we left those losers in the dust. Look at us. And meanwhile, the Coyotes had basically put together a ton of draft picks over the next few years. And they had even consolidated, moved up, and people were really happy with their moves. 
<clears throat> and then the end of last season, they were definitely not a joke. They separated themselves from the San Jose's and Chicago's of the world. And first half of this season, they were in the playoffs for a lot of this run. And I don't know if anyone's looked recently. They are now in the exact same position as the Sabres. 50 points in 52 games, 23, 25, and 4. They're exactly equal. The only difference is their goal differential is slightly worse. Theirs is minus 10. The Sabres is minus 5. And it's basically because they've lost seven in a row. And I think before that, they lost in overtime. So they haven't done uh, much of any good in that stretch. So it really is falling apart all at once for them. But the reason it's falling apart is because their goaltending, went from, which was the, the main factor in them getting pretty good this year, went from awesome to kind of meh. And that's not that unsurprising because they have just kind of two guys there in Connor Ingram and Carol Vamelka. Ingram's still at a 912. Vamelka's now at a 900 goaltending wise. So, like, you know, they went from, like I said, good to eh. They're 906 on the season. Those guys have kind of split time. Well, Ingram is definitely the starter. He's played more games. But then you look at their roster, and even though they have good prospects, you can't be that impressed with their scoring output this year. The leading scorer is Clayton Keller. Good, 49 points in 52 games. Then you have Maselli, which is good to see, a very young guy who's a who's a big prospect. Uh, but he only has 34 points and eight goals. He's their second-leading scorer. And then just the other guys after that, it's like a lot of bluff. Nick Schmaltz, Alex Kerfoot, Lawson Kraus, Sean Dersey, Nick Buchstad. And that's before, you, that's you know, you finally get to Logan Cooley, a prospect who people are excited about. Only at half a point a game right now. Yeah. So they're, they're kind of at a point where I think there's tr- talk of trading Clayton Keller last year in this past offseason. I wonder if that picks up again because Oof. they're not he's not really on their timeline because they have all these young guys. And I think most prospect people are still excited about the Coyotes and think they might still be good. And uh, maybe Keller might be a trade option because he's solidly in his prime. He might want to win. And, Brendan, I don't know if you know this. There's some arena thing going on with the Coyotes. Mm. Is it the shoebox that they're playing in right now? Yeah, there's uh, both an arena thing and this uh, this minor decade and a half long issue of whether they will remain in. in yeah, their you know state. these no things happen. Yeah, who among us? What it's, team among us have not has not gone through this before? You know, a good little decade and a half's worth. Why not? They're, they're, so nothing to worry about. Yeah, I like I mentioned Steven Stamkos earlier and how he has a whole Hall of Fame 500 goal career and he's definitely even though still good on the downside of it now. And you're, he's probably in his last – I mean, I think he's also interesting. He, I think he's a free agent too coming up. Anyway, how he's uh, on like – you know, the, the real downslope of his career. His best days are behind him even though he's still good. Was there a point in his entire career where the Coyotes weren't in danger of moving? No. No, no I wouldn't right? say. <laughs> I would say no. I mean, if there was, it might have been that brief period at the uh, – whatever their last arena was where they weren't paying taxes. I still call it jobing.com arena. I don't remember at all what it was called, but their place in Glendale where they got kicked out of because they wouldn't pay taxes or whatever. And then, then they did. And, but the the place was still like, get the hell out of here. Maybe there was a little while where they were safe there, but I don't know. This is a, what a fascinating time for this team because a few months ago, it seemed like they had a lot to be excited about on the ice. Mm -hmm. Now it's, and it also seemed like a few months ago, like, well, they're definitely going to move. So a lot of good prospects going to Salt Lake City. 
So this really, it's it's interesting. This kind of kind of is gearing up to be a Quebec to Colorado type deal, where it's like, oh, we finally got all these good players. <laughs> oh no, they're gone. Yep. I have to tell you, I'm really glad that you brought up Clayton Keller because he has been on my mind for the past couple of weeks as we've been talking about the Sabres making a move for right now and for the future. We had talked about him when his name was surfacing. I think you were right. I think it was around last year that it was a, a possibility. This year, his line mate, Nick Schmaltz, has been involved in a lot of connections with the Sabres. I know Chad from Expected Buffalo, they did uh, an article recently where he was listed as one of the top targets potentially at the deadline for the Sabres. So there's maybe some buzz there, but for me, I I want to take more time to think about it as we get closer to the trade deadline, but I have thought about it a bit so far, and I really do not think that there is a more realistic target out there that I want the Sabres to go after than Clayton Keller. I can I feel like I would confidently say any of like we're talking about like Kulik as a possibility, Savoy, Rosean, maybe Osland, maybe not Osland. I feel like I've really grown on him or he's grown on me a lot, but in reality, they, they can't be afraid to trade anybody. And I would trade any of those four guys for Clayton Keller to put him in this lineup right now. I think that he would give them uh, an, an additional legitimate scoring and playmaking threat on the wing. His game has come such a long way since the early goings of his career when he was taken, I believe the pick or two picks before Casey Middlestat, he ended up breaking into the league pretty quickly and, you know, had has had his ups and downs. Like he, he was promising initially, then his game fell off and people were like, Oh, what do we really have here? I don't really think he's, you know, as good as he was maybe billed to be. And over the past couple of seasons have, has since just completely taken off with his career and has moved into being a consistent 70 to 80 plus point player for Arizona. And you're very right, Taylor, that Arizona's timeline is kind of weird right now because of the fact that it was like, Oh, at the beginning of this year, maybe they will be able to do this and he can kind of be the one to lead them through this. And then obviously as this season has gone along and they've fallen off, it does make you wonder, you know, is he going to want out soon? And so I just, for me, it just feels like he is the the perfect target. Again, as you mentioned before, he has, and of course we know there's more to just points here, but 49 points in 52 games this year. Last year, he completely blew up and scored 86 points in 82 games. The year prior in 21-22 as a 23-year-old, he is just shy of a point per game pace with, 63 points in 67 games. So you've seen that steady growth there from him and you know pretty confidently what he is. You know, he he came into the league as a 19-year-old and played his first NHL season. He's only 25 years old right now. And he's he's locked up for the long term too. Let me look up his contract. I think he has something like, I think he's getting about an eight-ish million dollar cap hit. I want to say over, how many years left does he have? He has a no a move, a no move clause that comes into effect next year. A no trade clause, I should say. Uh, and he has four years remaining on his deal at 7.15 million AAV. It's a lot of money you're bringing in, I know. But again, a lot of these teams that are are contending and teams that give out big contracts, you know, these are guys that are getting north of $10 million. And obviously the Sabres just gave one of those out in Rasmus Dahlin, but then you go down the list and at least among their forward group, the Jeff Skinner contract is going to be coming off the books soon. Tage and Cousins are locked up 
for the foreseeable future for at just about the same cap head as what Clayton Keller is. And obviously Casey Middlestat's going to need a deal too, but you have the financial flexibility and the room to be able to make a move like this, which helps you now. It helps you into the future. And it's just, I think it is just such a slam dunk that if there is even any appetite to do this, that you have to be on the horn with Arizona. Taking it a step further too, when Jacob Chekrin was available two year, uh, a year and a half ago now, or about a year ago, whatever it was, when he was available last year, though, we had ended up hearing after the fact that a reason why the Sabres didn't end up going for it all the way when there was reported interest was because of the fact that Arizona wanted Yuri Kulik or Matt Savoy as part of the deal. I think with a guy like Keller, it is a no-brainer to include either one of those guys in a deal Along with other pieces, of course, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to pay up here. But I think it is well worth it to move those two, to be fair, promising commodities for what you know to be a proven, legit top six, top line NHL player. I mean, it makes total sense to me, and it's the kind of move that I think you absolutely need to be making. Yeah, even even if it's not this one directly, um, because there really shouldn't be that much patience going forward. Um, they need to be good, not just because we're waiting on a 13-year drought and everyone's getting older, whatever, fan-wise. It's because everyone's going to get old player-wise. I think basically there's no reason to take as much – there's no reason not to take as much advantage as possible of the – what will probably coincide is the Darlene, Cousins, Quinn, Paterka, hopefully Kalik, Savoy, Oslin, Benson, some combination of those guys, Roseanne also in there that prime and that those guys prime and Casey Middlestat's also there for whatever, however long he's there. And meanwhile, to hopefully be good, all those guys be good and be on a good winning team while Tuck and Tage are still young, while Jeff Skinner may ideally is still good enough to, to play and score and all that. So I think you, I, you really should be looking at that level of move. And I think a lot of people look at the Sabres and say they have too many forwards. And the answer is to not, ignore that and just have these forwards it's to consolidate and just improve yeah and improve yeah well if the sabers traded for clayton keller he's what what would you say confidently where does he rank among that forward group second best forward um right now yeah uh i think hot tage is a terrible year so yeah i I know that's why it's hard yeah yeah uh like Tage, and then you know, have Keller is like as good as Tuck, roughly as good as Tuck, I'd say. Uh, probably better than Skinner, considering Skinner isn't even scoring that much anymore. Uh, and then Quinn hasn't played, you know, basically at all this year. So I think ideally Quinn, Tuck, and Keller would be pretty similar. Well, Keller had 86 points last year, so he has that potential. That's impressive. Yeah, 100%. All right, shall I move on to? My last one? Did you just do your third one before? Was that? Yeah, that was my third one. All right. My third is regarding the team that the Sabres took on and whose ass they kicked on Tuesday night, and that is L.A. My my question that I'm asking about this L.A. team is if they are really going to blow this. They went all in in the offseason, made the big trade for for PLD. They signed Cam Talbot to try and shore up their their goaltending situation, which was uh, could be described as a mess at best. When you look at last year, when they had the tandem of Jornis Corpisalo and going out and making the move for him and then Phoenix Copley. So they go get Talbot and they had an excellent start to this season. And Talbot was looking like he was about to revitalize his career and lead LA to a Pacific division title. 
PLD has completely not lived up to expectations in the early goings of his deal. And as I said before, Talbot has just fallen off a cliff. They are four, eight and five since the calendar turned to 2024 and are tied with St. Louis with 58 points apiece atop the, the top two wildcard spots with Nashville, Calgary, Minnesota, and Seattle, all four or fewer points back. Even after though, to give maybe a, a sign of hope here, even after the embarrassing 7-0 loss against the Sabres, they still have a plus 17 goal differential, while none of the teams that I just mentioned that are currently in the wildcard race have a positive goal, goal differential. You have to think they regret sending so many assets to Winnipeg for PLD instead of Connor Hellebuck, which, I mean, it was rare that a goalie like that becomes available and LA felt like they were the team that was not only the most equipped to make that deal, but the absolute perfect fit for a guy like Hellebuck. But they end up sending those assets, including Gabe Velarde, off to LA or off to Winnipeg for PLD. I think that PLD still ends up figuring things out when it comes to his game. Um, you know, I don't think that they're going to, this is going to be like a, some disaster contract that they just signed. He's young enough still. I think that there's a, a, a good player in there. And I think that he just, as a player needs to learn to adapt his game a little bit more to his surroundings and what his team is and what they need of him right now. And he'll be able to work his way back up the lineup because he's mainly been getting only third line minutes as of late. So, Again, my question is, are, is LA going to be able to pull it together or are they going to succumb to a brutal second half collapse? What do you think, Taylor? I think it honestly seems most likely to me that they're good enough the rest of the way that they become an eight seed. Mm -hmm. And then that just ends up being a huge disappointment considering where they were and also the fact that that means they've actually taken a step back the past two years. I guess by eight seed, I mean second wild card. Everyone knows that what that is by now, but... They were the three, I believe, the last two years in the Pacific and mm -hmm. lost to Edmonton both times, and that's tough. But for them to be, like, the last seed and, you know, maybe they play Vancouver, honestly, that might not be the worst thing in the world. That'd be an interesting series. But that would be legitimately brutal for them. That yeah. would be yeah. just a huge step back to the point where I, I think they'd wonder what they were really doing, considering – they really tried to get better last off season in a lot of ways. And like, they might look around and say like, uh Oh, I mean, they would have no way to change things. So like they could reverse course, but I think a lot of fans would be like, shit, what the hell's going on here? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So totally. you think they do hang on and end up making the playoffs? I think I do just cause I don't really trust those other teams. Not at all. Like, I don't, I don't trust the blues. No. No, 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 not. I mean, no, I think there's major, major question marks with each of these teams. And so it's going to be interesting to see how it sorts itself out and who's going to really be able to step up and, and crunch time down the stretch here. Absolutely. It might be a, a, a factor of like no one doing that. Yeah. No one really stepping up. And it's like, well, the Kings, I guess we're in at 90 points or whatever. Yep. They could just stand pat. And I, I am curious to see also though, what they're going to do at the deadline. I feel like LA is primed to make a move right now. They know what they have at their disposal. They know that, you know, Kopitar and Dowdy, it's not going to last forever and probably want to make a move or something to inject some life into this roster. So I'm really, really looking forward to seeing how that playoff race in the West is going to shake out. That being said, Taylor, that concludes the segment for us. Do you have any other thoughts on anything Sabres or NHL related? Uh, no. 
Well said, my friend. All right, everybody. Well, thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites. Whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode, make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows. And make sure you are following both the Charging Buffalo and the Hockey Podcast Network on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can also find us, Straight Up Sabres. And before you close out of this app, whatever you're using to listen to this episode of Straight Up Sabres, make sure you are following or subscribed to this podcast. Last but not least, we have our wonderful sponsor, that being DraftKings Sportsbook. Make sure you're using the promo code THPN at checkout to take advantage of great deals and enjoy all of your betting desires. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody. This has been Straight Up Sabres. Sitting on the bedroom floor.